they walk around, they're like, hi, Barbie, love you, Barbie, right? And that's your name. So every single person here is really you in a different form. There's a vision of good masculinity. What is that exactly? To what extent is this really a feminist film? I think that the thing that Barbie Land doesn't have is the kind of sacrificial love that would induce you to suffer for another human being. There are no new words under the sun. There are no new notes I have left to hum. There are no new rhymes yet to be sung. There are no new chords that strings haven't strummed. Welcome to another episode of Unreliable Narrators, where we discuss media, literature, and the arts, and how they relate to Christ, the self, and the world. I'm Sophie Belonkel. And I'm Raymond... What? <laughs> I got married, and so my last name has changed forever. What? Who? Who? Who is this person? <laughs> who am I talking to? Where did Sophie Club parents go? Bring her back. Tell me the truth. The real question is whether or not I will continue to say my name with the exact same inflection that I've always said Sophie Quamperens or whether it'll gain new life. Yeah, I don't know. Name. Yeah, I think we definitely need a totally rebrand at this point. So yep. just change it from unreliable narrators to unreliable narrator. Meaning <laughs> 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 me? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all true. I was there to see it. Um, so, yep. so it did happen. Um, yep. but, but on that note, I think that this is a great inaugural episode to talk about the one and only Barbie movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, which has <laughs> very little explicitly to do with romantic love or marriage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, it's the movie that everybody is talking about. So we it's felt true. like... We're even though it's not on the Mars Hill list, we felt like um, we were socially obligated to jump on the bandwagon. Actually, before before we talk about the movie itself, I am curious. I think I know the answer to this already, but just to clarify, did you see Oppenheimer? I did not. Okay, so you didn't do the whole Barbenheimer double feature cultural experience. No, no, I didn't. And I mean, to be honest. Oppenheimer did not look super interesting to me. Uh, it was three hours long and seemed like pretty pretty nihilistic and not really in a particularly interesting way. Um, I've gotten to the point where actually I found nihil find nihilism just kind of boring. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that Christopher Nolan peaked with Inception. Which a lot of people disagree hmm. with. Uh, well, actually, I'm not super familiar with Christopher Nolan's filmography. Um, that's just my favorite movie that he's seen, that I've seen. And a lot of yeah. people would disagree with that because they would say that that's actually the part point where you started going downhill and um, uh, hmm. uh, caving to pop to popular films instead of making things that are more intellectually dense. Um, but mm -hmm. it was the most interesting movie to me. Um, and then Interstellar, not so much. Yeah. And so, so it was, yeah, super long, super dark. And it's yeah. just, I mean, I can also understand why a lot of people just find it less interesting. Uh, just because it's not enter as entertaining. Like, people go to the movies to be entertained. And that's yeah. what Greta Gerwig delivers on it. She understands this. Um yeah. Weirdly enough, I've heard that um, Oppenheimer is actually more popular in liberal states and Barbie is more popular in conservative states. Really? Yes, which is not the way we were expecting the cookie to crumble. But No. <laughs> but it is interesting that Barbie has actually become more popular among conservatives than you would expect it to be. Uh, yeah. So. Well, that's the thing. So, part of the reason I was asking about the whole the whole Barbenheimer situation is that it's really fascinating to me that these movies were kind of ended up being billed as a pair, even though I don't think either production studio ever thought or maybe wanted that to happen. Um, I'm not sure whether it was intentional that they were both going to release on the same day. I assume that July 21st just happened to be a good day for releasing movies in terms of 
how many people you were going to get coming to the box office. It was also my wedding weekend, but none of us went to go see either movie. <laughs> uh, but it will sort of always be the pair of movies that released two days before I got married. Um, but I think it's really interesting that Oppenheimer and Barbie are so, so different. So completely different. And I did see both. I didn't see them together. I didn't do the double feature, but I saw Oppenheimer and then about a week later I saw Barbie. Full disclosure, I didn't like Oppenheimer that much and I did kind of really like Barbie. <laughs> so, or at least I, I thought that Barbie was actually more interesting. I thought that Barbie had more angles and more to talk about and think about than Oppenheimer did. And maybe we'll do an episode on Oppenheimer at some point, uh, but we should start talking about the actual Barbie movie at this point. Um, just in terms of, like, your initial impression of the movie, so that all our cards are on the table, did you like it or not? Well, I, I didn't love it, I, but I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. That's a good place to start, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there were, I mean, it, 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 it was about as political as I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. And there were a, there were a certain a lot of, definitely a lot of points where I was getting very much exhausted by the joke every five seconds sort of pacing. Yeah, um, it was kind of hectic in that sense. It reminded yeah. me a lot of the Lego Movie in that sense. Um, oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah, and um, but uh, obviously it was a very entertaining movie. Um, yeah, and it was well directed, and. It surprised me. It surprised me, especially since it ended up being so much about Kim, which I right. was really, yeah, really not expecting the Kim to take over the, the movie to the degree that he did. And yeah. actually, it, it seems to me that that ended up, that was actually part of the marketing campaign, and I didn't pay attention too much to it at the beginning. But they did bring attention to this in a lot of the posters. Uh, if you mm -hmm. look at the posters, I think the tagline is, she's Barbie, he's just Ken. No, it's, she's everything. Oh, yeah. He's just Ken. <laughs> right, 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 right. So there seems to be an interesting point being made about the uselessness of Ken in the Barbie, Barbie world. Yes. Uh, and it's ended up being a, a point of a, a lot of humor. And I think that... Um, one of the things is that I think Greta Gerwig is definitely coming from much more of a liberal-leaning feminist perspective, but I think that even within that own the, the, her, her own worldview and universe, she's doing a little bit of self-critiquing um, of feminism, and mm -hmm. and I think part of the reason I don't know exactly what all of her motivations for doing that is, um, but part of it I think is that at this particular cultural moment because feminism as a movement has become um, so much mainstream as mm -hmm. a as someone who's interested in comedy uh, your your job is to po poke at the sacred cows so to speak and so right. it doesn't really work so much to always be like beating up against the patriarchies because that isn't really the the sacred cow anymore um, something else needs to be made fun of. So I think that's part of why, like, that's comedy needs to be edgy. And so that's kind of what's edgy a little bit. And I, and I, I say that because, like, you know, there's a comedian, you know, comedian Bill Maher, who I don't really like all that much as a person, seems to have turned uh, from liberal to making fun of the left a lot more. And again, mm -hmm. I don't know if that has much to do with his personal convictions as, like, this is kind of what's edgy now. Yeah, well, I think that this movie, the thing that I didn't really expect and the thing that was surprising, like you were saying, is the fact that it was a lot more complicated. It was less straightforwardly feminist and political on one particular side than I expected it to be. There was a lot more nuance than I thought there was going to be going on. And I also think that the movie is a really interesting mixture of satire and sincere. And part of what's interesting about that is that the... Greta Gerwig definitely does not clue us in to where the satire ends and the sincerity begins. Yeah. Um, the whole thing. It could all be satire. Well, it can't all be sincere, but it could all be satire or a lot of it could be more sincere. And it isn't totally clear. It is a lot up to interpretation which parts of the movie are which one. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about 
I'm going to give kind of an overarching summary in a second. But before I go through the whole summary, I do want to zero in on the first scene for a second because it's funny and very weird. Um, yeah. So the first scene is in... Uh, it's a homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you have all these little sad beige girls <laughs> who have these like really old fashioned dresses and they all look really upset. Like they look sad, kind of like in an old photograph where, you know, the exposure takes a long time. So you, you don't smile. They all look sad. They all have their baby dolls and they're all like pretending to be mothers taking care of their baby dolls. And then there's this narrator that's talking about how dolls have been around forever. Girls have always been playing with dolls. Um, it used to only be baby dolls. And then suddenly one day, like the savior appeared and then Barbie shows up and all these girls take their baby dolls and they like smash them against the ground, which is like the scene in 2001 A Space Odyssey when the, the obelisk appears and all of the apes have this moment of epiphany and so they start using like the bones around them as tools. And it's this yeah. moment forward in evolution. Um, it's such a bizarre scene that I kind of want to talk about it before we talk about the rest of the movie. Why start with that scene? Why open up with that at all? I think it is deliberately meant to be sort of bizarre um, and sort of set the tone of th that this is going to be a very irreverent movie. And yeah. what is it going to be irreverent towards? I, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to grin at you the whole time. I feel like Greta Gerwig is just grinning at you the whole time. You don't know yeah. who she's laughing at. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> yeah. Um, because again, like this seems to be I mean, it seems to be telling the, exposing the, the, the basic thrust of the, the fe feminism at this, uh, and what Barbie is meant to represent. And that is, mm -hmm. you know, the career woman overtaking the, you know, the, the traditional way of, for, for little girls to be in, in pushing their destiny as being mothers and how successful it is. It's very triumphant. But then... Again, it's this sort of absurd riff on 2001 A Space Odyssey, which makes it, it's so overt that it does seem to be like a little bit ridiculous at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that, and that seems to continually persist. Again, like you were saying, it's like, I'm really sincere about this, about feminist movement and feminist ideals. Um... And yet it's said so explicitly and so overtly that yeah. you it it always reads as a punchline, like at the same time. It's sincere yep. it's a sincere punchline at feminism. So yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Actually, uh, I will mention I haven't actually I didn't actually see the opening scene because we walked in late. Um, oh, okay. But I do I know I've read all about the what the opening scene was. So I'm just going off of that. Yeah. I think that for a movie that has a lot to say about mothers and daughters specifically, I think it's interesting that we open with little girls giving up their baby dolls, like smashing, smashing mm. their baby dolls, which is a little bit, a little bit disturbing. It's funny, but there's something a little bit crass about it. Maybe. Um, especially given the fact that the movie seems like it's very positive toward mothers and being a mother and having children. So mm -hmm. I think we'll probably have more to say about that later, but I just kind of want to highlight that going into the, the rest of the movie. I think that there's definitely an awareness that there is an underlying violence that is just sort of baked into feminist rhetoric. Um, mm hmm that I don't know whether Greta Gerwig is saying, like, either you're on board or you're not. Maybe that's kind of what she's getting at. Um, there's the feminine, famous feminist scholar Simone Bevor, who famously stated in an interview that we can't let women have the choice. Uh, we can't leave women to the choice because if we let them have the choice, most of them will choose to have traditional families um, so we need to force them into careers in order for the feminist movement to succeed. Well, it's also, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that is reminiscent of a scene later in the movie when 
Barbie has to choose whether or not to go to the real world or to yeah. stay in Barbie land. And Weird Barbie gives her this choice, and there it, the choice is between the high heels, which are the choice to stay in Barbie land, and then the Birkenstocks, which are go yeah. to the real world. And it's a very, it's a reference to the Matrix, where you have the red pill and the blue pill. And when Barbie realizes she has a choice, she says, oh, I'll take the high heels. She wants to stay in Barbie land. And Weird Barbie has to eventually say, no, 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 actually, you don't have a choice. I just wanted you to think that you did. You have to go to the real world. And so finally, she's kind of forced into taking the Birkenstocks and going yeah. to the real world. All right. But, um, but you had more of the plot you wanted to cover, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't take very long <laughs> to talk about the plot because it's a pretty simple, weird little story. Uh, so we open with Barbie, who is one of many Barbies. Uh, she is stereotypical Barbie. So all the other Barbies have different like roles and professions. You have President Barbie, you have Dr. Barbie, uh, you have, um, you know, all these uh, Attorney Barbie, all these different kinds of Barbies. She's just the original Barbie. So she's stereotypical Barbie. She doesn't really have a profession. Um, her job is just being pretty, living in the dream house, living her life. Um, it's this plastic world and they really do a good job playing with the fact that everything is fake in this world, right? So when she makes herself breakfast, the food is plastic. She kind of pretends to drink out of a plastic cup. She pretends to pour milk out of a plastic milk carton, but there's no actual liquid. When she takes a shower, there's no water coming out. She just kind of is pretend, like looks like she's taking a shower, but there's no actual water. Um, when they go to the beach, all the waves are plastic. Everything is this plastic world. And it's also kind of framed as this utopia-esque place where women are running everything. So there's a woman president. They talk a lot about the Supreme Court. All the justices are women. All the doctors are women. All of the attorneys are women. Everyone who's winning the Nobel Prize is... Everybody's a woman. Um, everyone is Barbie. Everyone is Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Barbie wins. Barbie's the president. Barbie wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Barbie wins the Pulitzer yes. Prize. Barbie, yep. yeah. Barbie everything. Um, which you might wonder then, where are the men in this world? We kind of never find out because there's even a gag later where someone asks, well, where do all the Kens sleep? And Barbie says, well, I don't know. I've never <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> Um, but you've got all of the, so you have Barbie, who is, you know, there are many, many Barbies, and then you have the Kens, and the Kens are just the men of this world, the most important of which is our Barbie's Ken, who's played by Ryan Gosling, who really steals the show, I think, in his portrayal of Ken. Um, he's Barbie's boyfriend, but it doesn't seem like she really likes him, and it's unclear what that actually means. I think the first time that we see Ken, like Barbie's Ken... It's this moment where the narrator says something like, for Barbie, every day is a great day. Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. <laughs> and we cut to Ken and he looks really anxious and he's waiting. He goes, hi, Barbie. And he's waiting for her to look at him. And when she finally looks and smiles at him, he's like, oh, he's so relieved. So he's just like the unimportant boyfriend. His profession is beach. <laughs> he's not even a lifeguard. It's unclear what that means. Uh, he just stands there with a the surfboard all the time. Um... So all of the Kens, including Ryan Gosling's Ken, are just side characters. They're totally insignificant. They're all kind of competing for the attention of Barbie. There's some jealousy between them, but they really don't do anything. They're not important. So Barbie, living in Barbie land, some things start going wrong. The first thing that goes wrong is she starts having irrepressible thoughts of death. So she'll be at a party and she's kind of dancing around. And suddenly she goes, oh, do you guys ever think about death? And they're all confused because, of course, they don't because they're dolls. They're not going to die. So she's confused why she starts thinking about death. And then um, her her body starts to become a little bit imperfect. There's this whole joke about how she starts getting cellulite. And that's a big problem. Her feet, because the, the whole joke is that Barbie's feet are always up on their toes. Like, they're wearing high heels because you have to be able to put high heels on them. But then her feet become flat. And so she's like a human. So she starts having all these problems that are human problems, like thoughts of death, flat feet, um, cellulite, things like that. And so she has to go talk to basically an oracle kind of character, a wise sage, who is weird Barbie, who's just a Barbie who's been played with too much. And so her hair is all cut off and she's got marks all over her face and 
always in the splits, stuff like that. Um, and so Weird Barbie tells her, you have to go to the real world, which is the scene we were talking about earlier where she gives her a fake choice, but it's not really a choice. Um, her mission is she has to find the girl that's playing with her in order to figure out what's going wrong. Because the reason you are experiencing all of these problems is because whoever's playing with you is also experiencing those problems. You're becoming linked together. So you got to go figure out what's going wrong. Definitely some Toy Story vibes going on here. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, it's also, Greta Gerwig is not super concerned with making that make sense. <laughs> it's not really a plot device that is supposed to be internally consistent. I don't think we're just kind of supposed to accept that there's some sort of bond between the little girl and the Barbie and they've got to solve that problem. So she goes to the real world. Ken, Ryan Gosling's Ken, comes along with her because he wants to impress her and he wants to impress the other Kens, etc. So he sneaks along. He comes with her to the real world. Um, and while they're in the real world, she goes looking for the little girl who is playing with her. Simultaneously, Ken kind of wanders off and makes this discovery, which is that in the real world, <laughs> men run everything, which is so <laughs> unlike Barbie land that he is really excited about that. Um, and he wants to be like all of these super high-powered men that he's seeing. And he also really wants to be, you know, respected and held up in the world in a way that he's not in Barbie land. So he leaves Barbie in the real world. He goes back to Barbie land and he implements the quote-unquote patriarchy back in Barbie land. Which is, he calls the Kendom. Um, which will, I mean, I'll talk in a second about what that looks like. But he goes back to Barbie land to implement the patriarchy. Meanwhile, Barbie meets, uh, well, she meets the people at Mattel who created her. She meets some other people. But the biggest thing is she meets um, the little girl that owns her, who is very jaded, cynical about the world, uh, thinks that Barbie has been bad for women because it's perpetuated unhealthy and unrealistic stereotypes, that sort of thing. Uh, but it turns out that the real person who's been playing with Barbie is this little girl's mother, who has sort of a broken relationship with her daughter. Um, and so Barbie takes the mother and her daughter. They all go back to Barbie land together. They see what Ken has done in the Kendom. Uh, they see that all these Barbies are now brainwashed into being really typical, following um, the Kens, doing things, just like offering them food, giving them beer, things like that. Um, and they're horrified at that, so they put together this plan in order to unbrainwash all of the Barbies to take back Barbie land from Ken. Um, they, their plan succeeds. Barbie has kind of a reconciliation moment, kind of, with Ken, as in Ryan well, Gosling's well, Ken. Well, I have to add, their plan of making this succeed is by sowing seeds of jealousy by yes. flirting with all of their other boyfriends so that all the Kens go to war with each other. Yes. Um, and this is also the weird moment where all the Kims go to war and then all of a sudden they just break out into this big musical number. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? They're not even fighting anymore. It's like they have this big war and then suddenly this war makes them all get along. It was very yeah. confusing. <laughs> I don't know what the conclusion of that war was. But anyway, actually, the plot got a little bit fuzzy at that point i wasn't i wasn't quite sure what was going on <laughs> yeah the thread started to unravel a little bit at that point in the movie i think yeah um but the conclusion basically is just that barbie and ken kind of reconcile barbie makes it clear that she and ken are not really going to be together and that it is okay for ken to be his own person so it's not barbie and ken it's barbie and it's ken so Ken can maybe be his own figure, have his own life. There's this whole joke about the last time we see Ken, he's wearing a hoodie that says, I am Ken off. Uh, and that's really where we leave his character. Um, and, yeah, then... and also we're forgetting a very important plot point is that when Barbie goes to the Mattel company, she meets a, this old woman in the, in the uh, building who turns out yeah. to be Ruth Handler, the founder of Barbie, who comes to Barbie land. And she's basically like this Morgan Freeman, like God character who takes yes. her out into the, into this like, um, uh, technicolor abyss where they have this kind of heart to heart discussion about what it means to be a Barbie. 
Yep. Uh, they they kind of glossed over some of the slightly more risque origins of Ruth Handler's uh, actual inspirations <laughs> for Barbie, but that's you know that's water under the bridge. So yeah, yep. So yeah, we have this moment of which I think is probably the film's most sincere moment, which is Barbie has this conversation with Ruth Handler, the founder of Barbie, at the end where Barbie says that she wants to be a human. So even though they've taken Barbie land, brought it back to the utopia that was originally, um, she still wants to be a human. And Ruth Handler tells her, so they're, they're talking about the nature of reality and the world and everything, basically. And Ruth Handler says something like, it's pretty uncomfortable to be a human, so we come up with ideas like the patriarchy and Barbie just to deal with how uncomfortable it is. Which, I think if there's any line that sort of tips the scale toward this movie is actually saying that both perspectives, both the women on top and the men on top perspective is bad. I, if there's anything in the movie that makes me think that that's what it's saying, it would be that line because we have... The We make up concepts like the patriarchy and we make up concepts like Barbie to deal with how uncomfortable being human is. But both of those are fake in some way. Both of those are not real. Um, anyway, so they have this conversation. Ruth Handler takes Barbie's hands and gives basically Barbie has this vision of being human, like being fully human. And most of it involves images of mothers and children. So mothers with their children. And she very, she says, she, oh, well, I forget what she says at the end, but it's very clear that she is on board with this. <laughs> she wants to be human. She wants this. Um, and then we cut to the real world. Barbie is now here living in the real world, friends with the, the mother and her daughter, whose relationship has been healed at this point. And the very last scene, which we'll talk about later because I think it's important, She's wearing, like, this blazer, and she clear she looks like she's about to go into work, like, for a career to have a job interview. And she walks into this building. They all say, good luck. She goes in. She walks up. She gives her name. And they ask, what are you here for? And she says, I'm here to see my gynecologist. And then we cut to the credits. So she's not actually here to have a job interview. She's here to see a gynecologist. Okay, so I want to start by talking about sort of what we touched on earlier, which is the question of how much of this is satire and how much of this is sincere. And specifically what I mean is, to what extent is this really a feminist film? Feminist in the sense of, to what extent is the movie sincere in its portrayal of women in most positions of power is a good thing? And actually one scene that I think we can kind of zero in on to help answer that question is... Um, when the Barbies take over again at the end, when they revert Barbie land to what it was originally, one of the Kens says something like, is asking, like, can we have some power too? And they're like, yeah, of course you can. And one of them says, can we have a Supreme Court justice? And they're like, oh, well, no, <laughs> we're not going that far. But you can have this thing instead. And they kind of like start giving tiny bits of power. And the Kens seem pretty happy with that. But the narrator says something like, you have to start somewhere. Over time, at some point, the Kens will get as much power in Barbie land as women have in the real world. Which obviously is a scene that you can read in a lot of different ways. Um, are we saying that Barbie land, where women are in charge, is the utopia? Is that the point of the movie? If it's not, if a more egalitarian society would be better, then why why not have the movie end in that way? Why not make Barbie land into more of an egalitarian utopia? Um, to what extent is it sincere in its really radical feminism? To talk about the current state of satire today, I think we should really go back to a lot of what we talked about with David Foster Wallace, because I think that he wrestled with the reality of what satire is and the state of postmodern irony is today. Um, which is why, as we were talking about in that episode, he attempted to found this new movement called the New Sincerity. 
um, mm-hmm. which is where you are everything that you say is has a sort of tongue in cheek satirical edge to it, and yet you're saying it sincerely. Uh, right. So, I mean, you definitely have that sort of feeling when you read Infinite Jest, where everything is like a satire, but it's like a sincere satire because it's like it's all we have. It's kind of like the language that we've come to, the only common language that we've come to speak mm-hmm. right now. Um, and it's it's a very, very cynical but you have to, in, in some sense, but you have to kind of take it into context of the kind of movement that we've been sort of, that our, our culture has been kind of moving towards and where we've been coming from in terms of the whole uh, uh, aesthetic movements, right? Uh, because I had someone explain to me once the, the, uh, the current state of irony, which he called meta-irony, right? Um, so there's one kind of satire, which is the Swiftian satire, right? And that's the the simplest level of satire, which we get with Jonathan Swift when he wrote the essay, A Modest Proposal, in mm-hmm. which he says the way we solve the population problems is eating babies, right? And the layer of irony beneath the Swiftian satire here is that Obviously, underneath what he's saying, the message is very clear, and that is uh, eating babies is horrible, so we shouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, the, that's the first layer of satire. But the next layer of satire, like meta-irony, is where you actually are sincerely saying we should eat babies, uh, but you're saying it uh, ironically. Uh, and you can keep on uh, going tennis balling back and forth in the tennis court of like how many layers are you joking and then not joking and then joking again and then not joking, um, which is kind of where we're at now, I think. Yeah. So, so I think she is trying to be sincere about something. Uh, right. <laughs> and and I, I, I think probably, I don't know whether she's really made up her mind yet. I think she's kind of search, using film to sort of search for answers. Um, mm-hmm. And the ambivalence is reflected in the film. The film Lady Bird sort of reflects her, is a very autobiographical story, um, which tells about her experience growing up Catholic. So yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, I have to be ambivalent about the message because I feel like the message is ambivalent. I think I agree with that. I also think that at least part of, so the question of why not have them fix Barbie land, why not have Barbie land be more egalitarian and kind of heal the relationship between Barbie and Ken, Barbie as a collective and Ken as a collective, right? Because there are many Barbies and there are many Kens. But that relationship really never gets healed because what we have is a world in which there is no space for Ken. There is no space for the men in this world. And then we switch it. So we create a world in which there's not really space for Barbie. There's only space for Ken. And neither of those worlds are particularly appealing, I think. I don't think either of those worlds are really a utopia. And part of the evidence for that is the fact that Barbie leaves, right? She doesn't want to stay in the end. She would rather be human and experience all the difficulties and uncomfortableness of the real world rather than continuing to live in the utopia that she has always lived in. So neither of those worlds I don't think is particularly good. And I don't think the movie is portraying either of those worlds as particularly good. And I think maybe the point of not having them heal that relationship not fix that problem in the end is in the fact that I think there's maybe a little bit of a nod to the audience of if this makes you upset particularly if you're sitting there and you're a man who's watching this movie right if the idea of a world in which the women hold most of the power and the men hold just as much of the power as women do in the real world if that upsets you then perhaps the place to channel that upsetness 
is places in which you see injustice in the real world. We're not going to fix Barbie land until the real world gets fixed. I think maybe part of the point of not ending it with just having it be egalitarian, but I don't think that Greta Gerwig is trying to say we should actually just have a pure reversal. We should just have women have exactly as much power in Barbie land and in the real world as they show in the movie when there's this what the swap since, since we're talking about satire one of my favorite onion headers uh headlines is attractive girls union refusing to speak to mike greenman <laughs> it's, it's like there's a where where the, the attractive girls union is putting some pretty rough demands on them mean including not constantly talking about video games and tucking his shirt in and like how long is this <laughs> How long is this stalemate going to last? We don't know. <laughs> this has been happening to Mike Greenman his whole life. Yeah, that is funny. You know, I I I try I try not to read The Onion too much, but but it can be kind of addicting because mm-hmm. there is something about satire that really um that 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 sums summarizes things so efficiently and elegantly. Yep. And quickly, just in a single sentence and you just like immediately like ha that's that's funny um but yes i think that i think that was the main sort of thought that was sort of like prodding at me at the end of the movie of this i mean which is sort of indicative of the larger problem of uh, of uh, the battle between the sexes so to speak in our current society is that it seems to be this sort of just ridiculous stalemate that doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be going anywhere and nobody really wants to it's all it's all about making demands and trying to negotiate who who has how much power right and nobody is really bringing up the the topic of family and children like that seems to be what both sides seem to be a, a mutually agreed to just not talk about that issue at all right which I think is the really the the thing that is the most uh, that is that is not really looked at or addressed in the film, except except at the beginning of the film where they talk about how they discontinued pregnant Barbie because a pregnant Barbie is just too weird, right? Uh, yes, which is interesting, and I and I, I also wonder like what what she is trying to say about that, um, like maybe is the part of the problem that we're having here the fact that we have we're not prioritizing the family at all mm-hmm. um like when we talk about like these traditional gender roles where you know the men are out working and the and the women are at home taking care of the food and uh, you know traditional household domestic chores like wasn't the point that the men were doing this at all because of children it wasn't like the woman's mm-hmm. destiny is to take care of children and the man is to go out and just like, you know, have fun and pursue fame. It's like he's doing that for his children also. Right. And what that makes me think also is this, the the traditional sort of Homer Simpson figure. Homer Simpson was this character who was a buffoon, right? And he worked, I mm-hmm. think, at this like nuclear power plant. And there's an episode where the words at the top of his office is you will always be here and then he rearranged the letters after he has a daughter he rearranges the letters of the sign to say do it for her mm. so mm. there was just like that little that little bit of sweetness that i think was embedded in simpsons which when it was sort of uh, parodied or the 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 rival subsequent sitcoms that came after that like family guy and rick and morty they they took all of the dislikable buffoonery aspects of homer simpson and but they removed that one element of Hmm. his sincerity of i'm going i'm such a buffoon but i'm gonna do all of this for my family that that tiny little character trait is not present in the in the characters in in Family Guy and, and Rick and Morty. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of family and children being sort of an unspoken 
thing that nobody talks about during the movie. I think I disagree a little bit. It's true that they don't explicitly talk about it, but I do think that it is actually a driving force and motivation for a lot of our main characters because, first of all, we've obviously got the mother and daughter who are sort of at the center of this whole thing, right? Like, Barbie is slowly becoming human because there is a broken relationship between a mother and a daughter somewhere. The mother only starts playing with the Barbie because she's missing the relationship that she used to have with her daughter. That relationship has to be healed in order for Barbie to be healed, right? So that's kind of at the center of this movie. And then we've got, so actually that brings us, I think, a little bit to Ken and the question of why Ken is so sympathetic. Because some of the most compelling moments for me in this movie were actually Ken moments. Because I really felt bad for him. The the few scenes that come to mind are, in the beginning, obviously, he just, he likes Barbie so much. And he wants to have a relationship with her so badly. And there's this scene where, so he asks in the beginning, can I, like, come over tonight? And she's like, oh yeah, we're having this big party with all the Barbies, so you can stop by. And he goes and it's just this huge, like, disco ball, big party, um, where he's not actually getting to interact with Barbie at all. And after the party, out kind of in the parking lot or the driveway, he, I forget whether this happens before or after the conversation, but he, like, kind of leans over and tries to kiss her and she clearly is not into that, so he doesn't. And then he says, like, can I stay over? And she says, why? <laughs> he says, oh, well, because we're girlfriend and boyfriend. We can do what girlfriends and boyfriends do. She says, what's that? And he goes, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and she says, no, because it's girls night and we're having a big sleepover. And you can see that all these Barbies are in the dream house getting ready to have their sleepover. And he goes, but every girl, every night is girls night. And she says, I know, isn't it great? And he's like, okay. And she goes inside and he kind of sadly walks away, which is sad, I think, because we empathize with what Ken wants, which is to have a relationship. He wants to be with Barbie in a way that she does not let him. And she doesn't even do him the courtesy of saying, we're not going to be in a relationship because I don't actually respect you or want to be in a relationship with you. Instead, they have this sort of weird, estranged, technically they're supposed to be together, but really they're not. Which is really horrible for Ken. There's no space for him. But what he wants, I think, is really admirable. And what he wants is... A relationship with her which ultimately the end of that road would be having a family and actually at the end of the movie well no let me talk about this first so when barbie comes back to barbie land and she sees the kendom right the patriarchy world and she's so upset about it and she says something about how you know this is all happening because we failed all the women in the real world and Ken, who's kind of been putting on this suave kind of Andrew Tate, I don't care about anything persona, suddenly kind of breaks out of that when she says, we failed the women in the real world. And he says, no, you failed me. That really this is happening because... And he, he quickly gets back into his persona. But that I thought was really compelling because it is true that in part, the reason that this is happening is because Barbie had an obligation to this person who really loved her, and they apparently were, like, <laughs> dating whatever that means in the plastic Barbie world, and she kind of ignored him. Like, she did not treat him like a human being. And that's a lot of what brought this about. And I think that's part of what makes him so sympathetic. So we've got Ken, who wants love, and I think ultimately family. And he even says, so at the end, when they're kind of having their little reconciliation moment... He says, I thought this was going to be our house. And that's really sad. I think that's another, that's not a, a laugh moment. <laughs> that's not a joke, which is pretty uh, wild in a movie where, you know, 85% of lines are jokes. <laughs> They're all laugh lines. Um, that's not funny. It's just sad that that's a thing he wanted and it was a good thing and he's not going to have it. And there really isn't a lot of consolation for Ken. <laughs> He is Kenuff, I guess. <laughs> but what does that even mean? Like, there's no... We don't really leave Ken with a space to have that. To have that thing that he wants. Okay, so we've got Ken, 
who is wanting love and family and somehow can't have it. And then we've got Barbie, who seemingly goes back to the real world and becomes human in pursuit of motherhood. And the movie doesn't say that explicitly, but I think it's pretty implicit because we've got the relationship between the mother and the daughter that Barbie is seeing. And that's really the main thing she sees in the real world that's good, right? Most of what she sees is sexism and people making rude comments to her on the street and a lot of men being in charge. Um, So there isn't a lot that she sees in the real world that it seems like would endear the real world to her except for this relationship between a mother and a daughter. And then the relationship between, well, and Ruth Handler as a person who also talks about her own daughter as being the inspiration for Barbie, etc. So then when she has the vision of the real world before she goes back, the vision she has is of mothers and their children. Um, And then, of course, we have the last line where she says, I'm here to see my gynecologist, which obviously is a nod to the fact that she now has a real woman's body and a real woman's body that has, you know, the organs necessary to produce children. So she could have children now, um, whereas she couldn't in the plastic world. And I think part of the reason probably for her rejecting Ken is the fact that Ken can't give her children. Because he does not have the necessary awesome. organs. so <laughs> He does not have the necessary organs, and she makes that very clear earlier in the movie. So I guess my point is, I think that the movie really is saying something about love and family and children as a positive and something that is good to pursue, even if it's pretty implicit. But some of the questions that I have underlying that are, if that's true, why doesn't Barbie Land have a space for men? <laughs> because you need to have that relationship between men and women in order to have children and family at all. And then why do we leave Ken the way that we do? If what Ken wants is good, if love and relationship is good, why is there something tragic about leaving Ken behind to not get this thing that he wants, which is to be in relationship with a real woman? Well, I mentioned Toy Story earlier in in the in this episode and i think Mm -hmm. that it is actually important to talk about toy story uh because um, this is a a toy movie a toy a movie about a toy in relationship to the real world in relationship to a child which is actually a very old story right um toy story is a very deeply existential uh, film and, and because what Buzz Lightyear says to well first we have Woody telling Buzz that you're a toy you are the purpose of being a toy is to is to uh, uh, be loved by a child which is exactly what Buzz says back to Woody in Toy Story 2 he says life is only worth living if it's being loved by a kid which is probably the most philosophical statement that Pixar has ever made mm-hmm. in a movie um, because the toy is meant to be sort of represent us in a way because we are made in the image of God and yet we're not fully realized, you know, we're not totally real yet. And what is our purpose of being a semi-real human made in the image of God? It is to be loved by God. It is to be in relation to God. Um, And so I think that that really is the underlying emotional heart of Toy Story, and I think that's why it resonates with us, is Mm -hmm. that we understand this semi-real status that we as humans have, which is fully realized in relationship to God. And that story, Toy Story, I mean, that was not the first child toy story there was. Before that, we had the Velveteen Rabbit, Mm -hmm. where this is said even more explicitly, um, and then before that, we had Pinocchio, and I think probably before that, we had The Obstinate Tin Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen, which was probably mm-hmm. the first one where they was exploring this. Um, you know that Pinocchio is the fourth most translated book in the world? I did not know that. So the order goes The Bible, The Little Prince, The Tao Te Ching, Ooh. and Pinocchio. That's crazy. It's not what you expected, right? <laughs> Uh, but yes, no. <laughs> children's books. And so Pinocchio is, is pretty high up there. So again, also Pinocchio is a story about a toy becoming more real 
um, or understanding what he was made in the image of, and that is to become a boy um, and right. to become a human. And I think that I don't know if I, I wish I could have seen a little bit more of like an a, awareness of like a connecting to all of these different stories in the Barbie movie. I thought I think that was if it, if Greta Gerwig was trying to pitch the movie to me, that's what she should have done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because I, I think that it is that kind of story. I think that's a good point in terms of the thing that is missing from Barbie land, both at the beginning and at the end, is love of the kind that is not just, this is your bestie (laughs) and you're gonna support them and hang out with them and have sleepovers with them, etc. Which is a great thing, right? The kind of love and solidarity that all of these Barbies have is fine, but there's also a little bit of an element of solipsism or narcissism to it because they're all Barbie, right? They walk around, they're like, hi, Barbie, love you, Barbie, right? And that's your name. So every single person here is really you in a different form. So there's like a self-love that's going on in Barbie land in the beginning and also really is kind of going on at the end. But I think that the thing that Barbie land doesn't have is the kind of sacrificial love that would induce you to suffer for another human being. Which is what Barbie, you know, for better or for worse, is not willing to give Ken. (laughs) Um, But I think part of the reason that Ken is sympathetic is he kind of makes us think that he might be willing to give that to Barbie. That is kind of maybe what he wants. He is willing at least to hide away in her car and go to the real world with her. Which has got to be pretty scary. He doesn't know what that's going to look like. Um, He doesn't get that. She doesn't get that. When she goes to the real world, it seems like she maybe is wanting motherhood and is wanting children implicitly. But there is no man (laughs) that we see who is going to give that to her or who is going to be the source of that, fulfilling that dream. And maybe we're supposed to expect that that's going to happen, right? That she's going to get married and have children and have a family, which is what the mother and daughter that she's friends with, what they already have. Speaking of which, actually, I do think it's kind of telling that the, her, the mother's husband, the father of the little girl, Sasha, he's barely a character. He shows up in two scenes. (laughs) He's, there's one scene where he's doing like Duolingo (laughs) As kind of a cutaway joke. And then he shows up at the very end, I think trying to, like, speak a little bit of Spanish and doing pretty badly. Um, So, is that intentional? Is that, again, is that satire? Is that intentional because this is not really a movie about men? I don't really know. But either way, um, the fact that we are missing that kind of love, like, that kind of sacrifice... I think might be intentional. Like that might be something that is purposefully missing so that we see some of the emptiness of a world in which the question is just who's going to be in charge or who's going to have power and not who's going to lay down their lives in order to protect or to serve people that they love. Right. Yeah. And there is also an interesting comment of, for America Ferraro's character, I, for what was her what was her character's name? I don't remember what it was. Uh, which character? She, she's the mom, the mom of the daughter. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember her name either. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, her character, she's the mom. Uh, yeah. So the dad is portrayed as just kind of being like a throwaway joke, but there is a comment earlier when they go on this car chase or something, where. Um, um, uh, the mom is like driving super crazy and the daughter's like who taught you how to drive and she sort of says sort of like breath breathlessly in this sort of reminiscence of uh, <laughs> like you know your dad <laughs> so there was like this sort of implication that he had, he was a little bit more of a wild card uh back in the day uh yeah that she finds very attractive so there's like this sort of implication that there is a kind of like masculinity that she finds attractive um, but we don't really see that being repurposed or realized in the family setting um, mm-hmm. which is I think another interesting point to make is that like 
there is this kind of um, element of sexuality, you know, in this sort of masculine persona that even, you know, the most hardcore feminists and maybe even the, especially the hardcore feminists seem to be extremely attracted to. Um, and they will say that and like, and part of that is part of the narrative of emancipating woman's sexuality, which would include being attracted to extremely masculine men. Um, mm-hmm. And again, what is that for? Right. Um, is it just to to maximize our attractiveness so that we have more fun in the bedroom? Uh, sorry, this is a family podcast. I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but well, like, what's the point of this? Um, if if we're not, if like, you know, if there's a problem of toxic masculinity, which is a problem. Right. And there's a mm-hmm. vision of good masculinity. What is that exactly? Um, if it is not to be like a protector of the family and for children and, you know, to be a present, present and invested in that project. Yeah, I will say that this is just a little bit disclaimer. Maybe I should have said this at the beginning. I do. I, I really think that it is okay. Not only okay, it's, it's like a good thing. It is okay to have a movie that doesn't explicitly answer the question, where is the space for men? Because there are definitely movies that don't answer the question, where is the space for women, right? There are movies about men and for men and about masculinity that just are not about women. And that's fine. This is not a movie about men. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that's a problem. But because it is a movie about the relationship in some ways between men in power and women in power and how do we view that relationship, um, I think that's the only really... The only reason that I have the question of where in this universe do we envision being the space for men? And then also in, uh, to sort of respond to what you were just saying about the vision of good masculinity that we don't really see here. Obviously, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, I just got married and we moved into this apartment and we think that there are mice in this apartment (laughs) because we found a dead mouse underneath our oven. And when we saw this dead mouse, so we kind of pulled the oven away from the wall because we were like trying to fix a problem. And we, I look down, I see this dead mouse. <laughs> I immediately go, no, jump away. And it was very clear that that was going to be Matisse's job, right? I was not going to, I was not going to get rid of this dead mouse. I was not going to pick it up. I was not going to throw it away. I was not going to look at it for any moments longer. And every moment of the, the hunt of the mice since then, I will put traps out. I will like help to duct tape up holes in the wall. I'll do whatever. But when a mouse is dead, I am not. I am not going to participate in the removal of the mouse. That is going to be Matisse's job. And I think that there's something... There is something important and helpful about remembering to have a vision of the world where I don't have to get rid of a dead mouse (laughs) and there doesn't have to be an argument about it, right? We don't have to discuss whether or not I should have to get rid of the dead mouse. I shouldn't. (laughs) I shouldn't have to get rid of the dead mouse. And if we have a world in which women are in power all the time, right? If we have the world in Barbie land, that also means getting rid of the dead mouse. That means doing some work that isn't super pleasant. And I think it's worth noting that that is not a vision of the world that this movie presents. Being in power is good and attractive in this movie. Um, being president and being a Supreme Court justice. And that none of that is to say that women are treated perfectly in the real world and that they are never discriminated against, etc. It is only to say that if we're talking about all of these themes of family and relationships between men and women and who's supposed to be in charge, who's supposed to have positions of power, the question isn't just, is it nice to be president or is it nice to be in charge? Part of the question is, are you willing to be the person who throws away the dead mouse? Um, and that has to be part of the discussion if we're going to have mm. that discussion at all. And and for the record, it doesn't seem to be super nice to be president. Uh, no. 
I don't know if that's no. a really desirable position at the moment. Yeah. But anyway, yes, all of these are good points. But okay, so we are a Mars Hill podcast, which is to say that what we do here is we talk about pop culture and how they relate to Christ itself in the world. <laughs> yes. So how, how are we to do this? I sort of talked a little bit about this. Like I see that definitely parallels here in Toy Story. So, um, but it was a little bit difficult, me, difficult for me upon first watching the film. It didn't seem to me like there was any sort of obvious connection. Yeah. So I think that there are two, two connections to Christ that I see. I think the first one is in the the pursuit of love and relationship and family as a good thing, even as the characters themselves seem like they don't 100% understand why they're pursuing those things. Why, why does Ken want a relationship with Barbie? I don't think even he knows. But it is a good thing that he wants. And why does Barbie want children? She's a plastic doll. <laughs> But it is a good thing that she wants. Um, and that's true because we are like, we're made in the image of God. And we want to love and be loved. And that's a hole when that's missing. And I think that that's a hole in Barbie land. And it's very clear that they need to fill that hole in some way. And a lot of the characters are searching for ways to do that. So I think that's one thing. Yeah. You know, I, I I just thought of another one, and that is the the smashing of idols. I think hmm. is you could say that that is a, a theme in this movie because, of course, first it begins smashing the image of dolls, mm -hmm. and then it goes back to her actually becoming a real woman and potentially having children. So, this the smashing of dolls is that necessarily saying like having children is bad, or just we're not we don't want to play with dolls anymore. Right. You know, maybe we'll want something real. Um, and even in the case of like, at some point at the end of the movie, she says, we need a Barbie that's just ordinary Barbie. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't just need another doll that's ordinary Barbie. Maybe we just need to go out and be a human being. Right. Right. Well, actually that ties to the other point that I was going to make, which is that Barbie is a doll. She is a toy that chooses to become human, which also is very reminiscent to a story that you mentioned earlier, which is the Velveteen Rabbit and to Pinocchio, right? This is a very old story of a toy wanting to become real. And what I think is compelling about that here is that the real world isn't that attractive. The movie does not paint a vision of the real world that is romanticized in any way. And yet, Barbie wants to become human, even though being human means suffering. And the movie doesn't explicitly use the word suffering, but Ruth Handler does talk about being a human being uncomfortable. And she says, we make up concepts like the patriarchy and Barbie just to deal with the fact that it's so uncomfortable. And they talk about death, right? Because she, in the beginning, has irrepressible thoughts of death. And when she has this conversation with Ruth Handler at the end, where she's like, are you really sure that you want to become real? She brings that up again. She says, that means dying. And Barbie says, I know. But she wants to become human anyway. Because being human means meaning something. It means there being meaning to you and to your life. Even though that meaning comes through suffering. She's going to have to suffer as a human, and she's going to have to die as a human. But somehow, intuitively, she knows... The only way to have meaning, to live a meaningful life, is, well, having children is going to be part of that, it seems like. But also, the act of being human is the act of existing in a way that imparts meaning upon you and your life. Um, which is also a very Christian idea, that to, to be human is to suffer, and to suffer is good. And that suffering is going to make you better that you are become going to become something better than you are through suffering and she becomes something better than she is being a human is better than being a doll it's better than being a toy um and she becomes that through an act of suffering which is the act of becoming real which all all the fairy tales tell us is a painful experience <laughs> uh 
to become real or to become human. Yeah, and I think that it is correct to categorize this movie as a fairy tale. I mean, it's it is called a fantasy story. Yeah. Um, and that also I think is part of the reason why it's so popular. If you look at the majority of films that have come out in the past 10, 20 years that have scored up to a billion dollars in the box office, they are all fantasy stories. Mm -hmm. Take that, Oppenheimer! Yeah, take that, Oppenheimer. Fantasy is better than reality. But fantasy, as G.K. Chesterton would say, is more real than reality. Uh, So... Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at that. Is that, you know, are people so attracted to fantasy because it offers them an escape from reality? Or is it an opportunity to see reality for the first time? Um, and I would definitely lean more towards the latter. I agree. And I think and in the movie, and especially the Barbie movie, too, is very much concerned with what is reality. Yes. Right? What is the real? What is the fake? Um, you know, that is the whole, the whole point of exploring this world and the, the world of Barbie that is. And I think that if you are invested in that question with what is real as the Velveteen Rabbit was invested in that question, you are always in immediate danger of discovering that. And what you might discover may sound very much like Christianity. I couldn't say it better. Yep. Yep. Any, any closing thoughts? I'll, as, as, see, it's you as, as the woman. I'll let you have the last say. <laughs> well, ironically enough, I don't know that I have any more closing thoughts. And I uh, am impressed that we, we did get there. We did get yeah, to the Christian, yeah. the Christian connection, even though we had to do a lot of wide circles to get there. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Unreliable Narrators, a Mars Hill podcast. Unreliable Narrators is an original podcast produced by Raymond Dokapil and Sophie Belonkel. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts can be found. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us, review us, or write to us at unreliablepodcasters at gmail.com or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash unreliablenarratorspodcast. Our theme song is New Moon by Caleb Quamparent. In our next episode, we'll be discussing the 2013 Japanese animated historical drama film, The Wind Rises, written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Until then, folks, remember, Barbie is everything. Ah, folks, you want to step right this way. Hi, I'm Ken. Barbie... Have we ever met? Uh-uh. I would have remembered. <laughs> Love your leg warmers. Nice ascot. <laughs>